keep your heart with all vigilance. Just joking. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. May this word of the Lord give us wisdom to know what's best and the courage to do it. You may be seated. Thanks, Steve. That vigilance gets us every time. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, really thankful that you guys are here with us as we continue this study in the book of uh, Proverbs. And uh, it's kind of not what we typically do, where we'll go through a book of the Bible and just kind of camp there for an extended season. In this particular uh, series, we're, we're kind of looking at a few different themes. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the, the kind of subtitle of this is In Dizzying Times, Wisdom in Dizzying Times. And, and that really is key as we understand this series. We live in a world, don't we, filled with voices, clamoring for our attention, lots of distractions, lots of noise. And I've heard it said, you've heard it said a bunch of times, that we now live in what everyone calls the information age. But nobody has ever said that we live in the wisdom age. There's a lot of information, but there's not a great deal of wisdom. And so the question that this series really asks us is, who will we listen to? What will we listen to? Will we listen to Lady Wisdom, or will we listen to Woman Folly? That's what Seth led us as we looked at uh, Proverbs chapter 9 last week, to basically say, hey, we're always kind of at this crossroads. We're simple, we're naive, we need instruction, and we're at this crossroads, and wisdom is calling, and folly is calling, calling which path will we take? That's what this series is really asking. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at a few different specific topics where we need some wisdom. Here's where we're going. We're going to look next week at self-control in a world of anger. Then we'll look at purity in a world of lust. Week after that, we'll look at communication in a world of words. Wow, do we need that? We'll look at love for the poor in a world of plenty. We'll do that on National Adoption Sunday, which will be great. And we'll look at contentment in a world of consumption. So that's what's coming these next five weeks, kind of looking at each of these themes. But what we wanted to do last week and today to try to set this up is really say, okay, what are some broad things that we need to understand about wisdom? So the first one was last week. Wisdom and folly are always calling. And you're always responding on the basis of whether you're responding to wisdom or responding to folly. This week, we are looking at, at a verse that I think uh, really sums up what it is to live a wise life. It's Proverbs 4.23. Now, in our ESV text that we read, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. But actually, I think, actually, even in this case, a more literal translation comes from the NIV, which says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to ask, what is the heart? That seems an important thing if we're supposed to guard it above all else. What is the heart? What does it mean to guard it? Why should we guard it? And how do we guard it? What's the heart? What does it mean to guard it? Why should we guard it? How should we guard it? That's what we're going to look at. So let's pray together, and we'll jump into that. Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. God, I... Uh, I resonate with this verse as I think about decisions I've made that have been good or bad, relationships that I've contributed to that have been healthy or unhealthy, responses I've had to difficult circumstances that have been filled with peace or filled with angst. So much of it comes out of my heart. 
So I pray, God, that you would give us clarity today about the heart, about what it is, and how and why to guard it. Lord, give us your direction, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so our first question is, what is the heart? When we think of heart, we almost always think exclusively in terms of emotion or romance. Um, in fact, when I was in college, this idea of Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, was always applied in kind of romantic conversations, right? So if you're dating a person, you need to make sure as you date them, you guard your heart because, right, your heart really matters and you don't want to give your heart to too many people. And, and that's a wise thing, actually, but that's not really what this verse is about. This is not just a verse about dating or a verse about romance or a verse about emotions. It's actually a verse, as we see, about everything you do. And so what is the heart? The Hebrew understanding of heart is very different than our understanding of heart. And so um, the folks at the Bible Project, they do these incredible animated videos that help you understand books and themes of the Bible. And they've put together a very helpful video that really gets at the Hebrew understanding of heart. So I think that'd be a great place to set the tone for what, what it is that we're supposed to guard. Um, and so go ahead and take a look at this. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life, and there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick, who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. 
So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's pretty helpful. I would have done like a whole sermon on that and there's like four minutes and animated. So Bible Project, they do lots of great stuff. You can find all their videos on YouTube. Um, if you're ever just reading through a book of the Bible, check them out because they explain that stuff really, really well. So the heart is this command center. It's this control center. It's this thing that's connected to our intellect and our emotions, and our feelings, and our actions, and our desires. It's kind of the core of who we are. So it then makes sense that the proverb would say, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So, next question. What does it mean to guard it? If our heart is this command center, what does it mean to guard our heart? Well, the word guard, it means to watch over or to protect or to keep. And we're familiar with this because we know what it is to watch over things. We watch over our kids or our grandkids. We watch over our bank account or our passwords. We watch over our phone, right? Some of you are like your constant questions, where's my phone? Maybe you need a better job guarding your phone protecting it, keeping it. We're very familiar with these kinds of things. And this passage says that we should protect, we should watch over, we should keep watch, we should guard our heart. And this makes sense. If your heart is the thing that everything's flowing out of, if it's this control center for your whole life, what are you comfortable letting in there? We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So there's guard it, but then it also says, above all else. In the ESV there, it says, guard your heart with all vigilance. That's that same idea, above all else. And in the Hebrew, the literal way it's actually translated is, above all guarding. More than all the things you guard, more than all the things you watch over, more than all the things you protect, guard your heart. You watch over your bank account? Good, you should. But more than that, watch over your heart. You keep track of your body, what you put into it, how you exercise it, how you sleep. Some of you are wearing, like I am, things that keep track of your sleep and your steps and your calories and your heart rate. Great, do it. But more than that, keep watch over your heart. You keep track of your kids and your grandkids, I hope. More than that, guard your heart. You protect your privacy. Right? Some of you have passwords on your phones, or it needs your fingerprint, or someday a retinal scanner. Or, right? you have, you've signed up with LifeLock because you're protecting your identity. Great, do it. But more than that, above all guarding, make sure you guard your heart. 
Dr. Wayne Grudem teaches at Phoenix Seminary. Here's what he says. He says, from time to time, we may have to neglect some other good things in life in order to be sure that we are not neglecting our hearts. We may have to neglect important things, but you cannot neglect your heart. Now, here's the thing that strikes me about that. We often neglect our heart because of all the other good things. And we actually excuse our neglect of protecting our heart, drawing close to God, making sure our hearts are filled with faith and love and peace and, and focused on the right things. We often neglect the, that in, because we're focused on all this other stuff. And Grudem, on the basis of this verse, says, no, we have it exactly backwards. The number one priority in your life is to guard your whoa, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I feel like we live in this age of hyperbole where everything is the most awesome or the most amazing or the best game or the best concert or wow. I mean, it's all over the top. But this actually, inspired by God, says above all else, above all other guarding, guard your heart. Why? Why, why so extreme? Why, why such a big statement? Well, the answer is in the back half of the verse. It says, above all else, guard your heart for, this gives us the purpose, for everything you do flows from it. In the Hebrew, this would be literally translated it as from it are the outgoings of life. The outgoings, the goings out. The, the, the springs of life is how the ESV describes it. It says in the ESV, uh, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That's the imagery. The imagery is that your heart is this well or this spring, and there's water in it, and that water is pouring out into your work, and it's pouring out into your family, and it's pouring out into your relationships, and it's pouring out in terms of how you respond to adversity, and it's pouring out in terms of how you respond to success, and everything that is coming at you evokes a response by you that flows from your heart. So that's why you should keep it and guard it and watch over and protect it above all else because everything you do flows from it. Now, here's the good news. Is even though, as Jeremiah had said, our hearts naturally are sick and deceitful and broken, the promise of the new covenant that was represented in there by Jeremiah and by Ezekiel is that God has actually, in Christ, given us a new heart. The heart of stone has been removed and the heart of flesh has come. And that has come through Jesus. Jesus came and lived and died and rose and ascended so that we could have new hearts. And so Jesus has cleansed us, the scriptures tell us, from the power of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. We continue to, but we don't have to. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness, it says in Romans 6. So Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. Jesus has also paid the penalty of our sin. That's good news. So the sin that's in our heart, the rebellion that's in our heart, the God-belittling nature of things that's in our heart, Jesus died for that. That's the good news. Now, the difficult thing is that even though Jesus dealt with the power of sin and dealt with the penalty of sin, the presence of sin still remains. And so we still have hearts that are drawn away to other gods, that are drawn after things that aren't most important. 
We have hearts that are drawn by temptation, hearts that are drawn by the world, hearts that are drawn by their own just sort of sinful brokenness. And so because that's the reality, we must guard our hearts. Jesus said the exact same thing in Luke chapter 6. He says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. He says, listen, you look at a bramble bush, you're not going to find grapes on it because bramble bushes don't grow that. He says, in the same way, you look for good fruit on a bad tree, you're not going to find it. Well, Well, what's the connection between the fruit and the tree? Here's what Jesus says in the next verse. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That's what Jesus is saying. Your your words flow out of your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from your heart. Now, I always want to add to this, and Jesus didn't say this, but I know he would be okay with me saying that he would mean it, is I also want to say, for out of the abundance of the heart, the fingers type. So as we think about the mouth speaking, that's not just verbal, that's all our communication. Now, here's the challenge, is what we want to do with verses like this is we want to start evaluating everyone else's heart. Well, ooh, yeah, I see what's flowing out on me. You must have a heart problem. And and the, the point of this is not to look elsewhere, it's to look at your own heart. A counselor that I speak with on a regular basis, he often tells me, he says, Luke, the best gift you can give your family and your church and everyone in your life, the best gift you can give is your transformed and transforming presence. Because the best gift you can give is that you're growing and changing and that people are experiencing that growth and that change. What's he saying? He's saying, guard your heart, for from it flows everything in your life. What's flowing from your heart? As you look at your relationships, as you look at your response to adversity, as you look at your response to success, what's flowing from your heart? So I've got a cup of water here, and I'm going to do this. Why did water come out? Well, some of you think it's because I hit it, but here's an empty cup. Nothing came out. Why did water come out? Why? Because it's in there. Because it's in there, that's why. See, we look at life situations and life circumstances and we want to blame everyone else. We go, well, you made me angry. Well, you made me frustrated. Well, you made me respond this way. No, 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 no. All these circumstances of life simply reveal what's in our hearts. What's in your heart will come out. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, the last question is this. How? do we keep it? How do we guard it? How do we protect it? How do we watch over it, right? Because if this is the thing that like, number one priority today, what's your number one thing on your agenda? Guard my heart. 
protect my heart, watch over my heart. How? How do you do that? What does that look like? What does that begin to feel? And what's the experience of that? How do you do it? Now, I have three ideas that I want to share, and there are more that you could all come up with and more things we could say, but, but here are three. And the first one is this. Watch for dashboard warning lights. Right? You all have cars. You got here some way or another, probably through a car. And on your car, there's dashboard warning lights. And I hope you're not a person that when that light pops on, you just go, huh, oh well, and you just keep driving, right? Because what happens then is like a few months later, AAA is picking you up and you're like, yeah, there was a light that was on and I just, I guess I just didn't do anything with it. And it's like, yeah, that's not smart. Like the people gave you those warning lights to say, hey, there's something going on here. It needs attention. Listen, I think God has given us the same thing with our conscience and with the spirit. We have these warning lights. They might be different for each of us, depending on our besetting sins and various struggles and just the way that God has wired us. But you have dashboard warning lights. You have these emotions especially are this great indicator of what's going on in your heart. And you have these things that the Spirit is trying to say, hey, 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 guard your heart. There's some stuff in your heart that's starting to come out and and your heart needs some attention. And I think a lot of us, maybe we just can't see it because we haven't learned to kind of listen to the voice of the Spirit giving us these warnings. Or maybe it's just we're so used to it or we're so busy we just don't have time to really think about it. We just have other stuff we're doing. But if we'll listen, God will give us these warning lights. And so I want to share with you mine. These aren't all of mine, but these are the biggest ones. One for me is anxiety. I'm not naturally a, an anxious person. Some people are more just, they deal with anxiety as kind of a way of life. And, and that's not the kind of anxiety I'm talking about. That I think sometimes is even a medical thing or different than what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, these moments where I just kind of go, oh, I'm just nervous and I'm anxious. And I, I just, I can't get this kind of thing out of the pit of my stomach. And, and, and particularly when it's not really any reason I should be. That's a warning light where God's saying, hey, hey, check your heart. Why are you anxious? What are you afraid of? What are you not in control of? What are you needing to go a different way than it's going? What's what's going on? It's a chance to look at my heart. Another warning light for me is lust. There are two kinds of men, men who lust and liars. But, and so all, all men are dealing with lust as a reality, wanting things we shouldn't want. That's, lust literally means an over-desire. And it's an over-desire for maybe a good thing or a, a desire for a thing that we shouldn't have. But when, I have, when, I'm, when my heart's not in a great place, that's one of the warning lights that flashes. I'm more tempted there. I'm more prone to take additional looks or to find myself daydreaming. I'm just... That's a warning light. And so, yes, I need to fight that because it's wrong and that's sinful, but I also need to not just go, hey, stop that, Luke. I need to go, what's going on in my heart? What is it about my intimacy with my Heavenly Father that isn't what it should be and I may be looking for it somewhere else? 
Because that's all sin is, is it's disordered loves. It's loving things besides God more than God. And so these things are, these are warning lights to go, what's going on? What am I loving? What am I needing? Another warning light for me is just irritability. I'm just kind of short and irritated and easily set off. And, and a lot of times for me, this is closely connected with biting sarcasm. Any other people who are sarcastic here? I've been looking through the Bible. I, I can't find a place where it says it's a spiritual gift, but I <laughs> keep looking. You know, in sarcasm, it, it, there are places in the scriptures where the prophets are sarcastic. There are places where God is sarcastic. There is a place for it in the world. But, but for me, when it comes to like the, the biting sarcasm, the snarky, and I'm pretty quick-witted with it, and I can just, boom, just zing you really good. And sometimes I have enough control, not usually, to not let it come out of my mouth. But even when I just bubble, I'm going, why am I so snarky right now? Why am I so irritated? Why am I so frustrated? See, we want to say, oh, you made me frustrated. You made me angry. That makes me so angry. But the reality is, why, what is in my heart that's being blocked? That's often a link to anger. I want this and I can't have it. Right? This is what it says in James. Right? The reason why we fight and quarrel is because we want things and we can't have them. So when I feel irritable, when I have this biting sarcasm come on, I've got to go, okay, Luke, what's going on here? What are your warning lights? Is your heart even tuned to see them? God is often saying, hey, 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 hey. Guard your heart. So you've got to find the warning lights. Second way to guard your heart is to watch what you feed it. What do you feed it? Right? I think we think our hearts are like in this neutral condition all the time. But because our hearts are always loving things, they're never neutral. So they're always moving toward wisdom or moving toward folly or moving toward beauty or moving toward what is not good. They're moving toward God. They're moving toward sin. Our hearts are not static. They're moving and they're hungry. And so they feed on things. What are you feeding your heart? And I want to think in two categories. I want to think about media. That's something we feed our heart. And I think about relationships. So first with media, what are you feeding your heart when it comes to media? Are there social media accounts that are feeding your jealousy? Right, Seth talked last week about how social media can be, in its kind of raw form, pornographic. Not meaning that it's sharing explicit images necessarily, though that happens. But the idea that you have some people who are oversharing stuff they shouldn't share, and a lot of other people who are voyeuristically enjoying watching those other people share things they shouldn't share. So, so what is your social media, the people you follow, the people you engage with, what's that feeding you? Is it feeding you mommy guilt? Is it feeding you, oh, I wish I had that lifestyle. Oh, I wish I had that husband. Oh, I wish I had that body. Oh, I wish I had that organic food. (laughs) 
No one really wishes for that. <laughs> oh, I wish I wanted that organic food. But what's it, what is that feeding you? Are there, are there radio shows, especially talk radio shows, that are feeding your heart things that are just feeding the anger in your heart? There's a radio guy I used to listen to a number of years ago, and I just realized I can't listen to him anymore because I just get angry. And again, it's not that he makes me angry. It's that there's anger in my heart, and it's being fueled, and it's being stoked as I listen to that guy. His name rhymes with lanity. <laughs> and if you can listen to him regularly and have him not feed your anger, you are godlier than me. I couldn't do it. So I said, I, I, can't, I can't feed my heart this. Whether he's right or wrong, that's not the issue. It's, it's I, can't, I can't feed my heart that anymore. Are there movies that feed your lust? I think a good assessment of just movies. I, I like I like movies. I like watching the Academy Award nominated movies, and right. So you're thinking through language and 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 violence and sex and all those things. I think one of the great questions to ask is, when I watch stuff like that, does it make me want to watch more stuff like that? What are you feeding your heart? Are there websites that feed your discontent? Oh, I gotta have more. I gotta have better got to live there. What are you feeding your heart? So that's media, but then you also have relationships. What about the people in your life? Who are the people in your life whose presence encourages you to complain about your spouse? It's one of the ugliest things in the world, by the way. I'm in a restaurant or a coffee shop, and I just overhear a group of men or a group of women complaining about their spouse. Ugh. So God dishonoring, spouse dishonoring. You're one flesh with that person. You're going to talk that way. Who are the people that nourish that in you? Who are the people who, who feed your tendency to gossip and slander? Who are the people that feed your joking that's dishonorable or ugly or racist, or sexist, or demeaning? Who feeds that desire you have to just live for you? Who feeds that? Conversely, who are the people who feed your thankfulness to God? Who are the people that feed that, that sense that I need to keep my eyes on Jesus? Who are the people that feed your contentment? Who are the people that feed your need to love those who are different from you or difficult to love? See, our relationships are feeding us. And, and we got difficult questions to ask because the talk show or the website, I can just not deal with that anymore. I can just not go there. But when you're talking about relationships, maybe you can't just say, hey, I'm not going to have you in my life. Maybe you can. Maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. Difficult wisdom questions to wrestle through. But what are your relationships feeding you? I'd encourage you to maybe think through this question. Those of you who are in a redemption community, small group, Says, is our relating to each other, does it feed the way we talk, the things we talk about? Are we feeding anger and frustration and discontent in one another, or are we feeding each other to be thankful and 
grateful to God and to love one another? What are we feeding each other? Here's the third way to guard our hearts is to cultivate habits that strengthen your heart. Right, so the, the previous two are kind of defensive, right? This is saying, okay, I have this heart. It needs to be protected. It needs to be guarded. It's this spring. How much poison am I going to allow into my spring that's going to feed all of my life and spill out on all my life? How much? Not, not, not any, right? So I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to watch these warning signs. I'm going to watch what I feed it. I'm going to be defensive. This last one says, what about the offensive? What about the strengthening of your heart so that you're less vulnerable, so that you're less susceptible, so that you actually have a little bit more game to fight back against these things that are threatening your heart? Well, that happens through habits. People in Christian history have called these spiritual disciplines, means of grace. I just like habits. They're things that you do regularly to strengthen your heart. Now, what I want to do is I want to share with you a, a list of a long list of ideas, and I, but I want to give you a little caveat first. One, don't think like this is what I should be doing every day. Some of you are wired like that, right? Like if someone gives you a list of stuff, you're like, that's what I should be doing. I really am bad because he just gave me nine things and I don't do any of them. Here's the thing. You couldn't do all of these unless you were on vacation by yourself. And then it would still be hard, okay? So these are not things to go like, hey, every day you should be doing this. I don't want you to walk away thinking, oh, Luke must do this every day. No, I don't. But the other thing I want you to notice is that what this is a list of is really saying, okay, what's an area of my heart that needs strengthened? And what is a habit that would directly strengthen that area that's weak? Okay? So that might be a valuable way to think about it. What's an area of my heart that I need to be stronger? And what's a habit that might build that into me? Okay, so here's some ideas. First one is confession of sin strengthens humility. Right, we we like to kind of, as Protestants, you know, we don't, we like to kind of tease that the Catholics all have to go to confession and stuff like that. And, and no, we don't believe that you have to confess to a priest to have your sins forgiven. But there's something really healthy about confessing your sin. It makes you humble. Chad Moore says this, that the most important sin to confess is the one you're about to commit. I have a friend who went out of town this week and said, hey, would you pray for me this week? I want to be pure as I'm in my hotel room. I want to honor God. I want to have a pure heart. Yeah, I'll pray for that. That took humility. So confessing sin. Maybe you go, I need to grow in humility. Start confessing your sin to not everyone, someone. Here's another idea. Bible reading and prayer to strengthen dependence. Did you know that that's what Bible reading and prayer is for? Right, some people, they go, well, I started this thing, I started this plan, and I'm way behind on the check marks, so I gotta read the Bible. Why? So you can have all the boxes checked so that you can feed the pride in your heart that says, look, God, I'm so good at Bible reading. Is that why you read the Bible? 
No, read the Bible and pray because you go, God, I need you. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God, feed me. God, I need you. That's the heart of it. So if you go, you know what? I'm really proud and I'm really independent and I'm not really thinking through, man, I need God. Maybe Bible reading and prayer is a way to attack that, to strengthen your heart in that area. Here's another one. Coming to church strengthens your awe of God. Everywhere else in the world, every other voice in the world is saying, be awed by this created thing. And we gather together Sunday after Sunday as a way to say, no, let's be awed by God. Let's have him be enough for us. That's why you don't just come to church when you feel like it or when it's convenient, but you go as a discipline, as a habit, every week I go to church. It doesn't earn me standing with God. I don't get more brownie points by some angel with a clipboard. No. I need, I have an awe problem. And I need to be refocused on awe of God. Maybe you say as a habit, I'm going to join an RC. I'm going to join a small group to strengthen my love. And even though I don't really think I like all these people, and that guy talks a lot, but doesn't say anything. And this person always has the same problem. And every time they, I get the phone call, it's like, hey, it's canceled. I'm like, yes. Right? <laughs> Have you ever been like that? Don't answer out loud. But you know why you need that group that is still so frustrating? Because you need to learn to love. That's why you need that. That's why you need those people that are different and difficult, because you need to learn to love. And so... You don't just go, well, I don't feel like it. Well, I'm tired. Well, it's been a hard week. You go, no, this is a habit. This, this is the way I'm going to cultivate my heart before the Lord. A few more ideas. Singing to strengthen joy. I put even privately. <laughs> right, I, the, singing, for me, it's one of the things that most feeds my heart. Every few months, I have this chance to often go up north, and as I drive, I put on this playlist, and the playlist I've just named Sufficient. And it's all songs that are about how Jesus is sufficient. He's enough for me. And I sing them, and I must look like an idiot to anyone who's driving by. But it feeds my joy. I need that. Because above all else, I've got to guard my heart. Maybe it's writing thank you notes, actually expressing the gratitude that you say you feel in your heart. Write it down. Express it to somebody as a way to grow in gratitude. Maybe it's serving as a way to strengthen your compassion. To say, you know what? I'm constantly around people who serve me. I'm constantly around people who don't seem to have any needs. I'm going to go find a place where I can serve and, and give of myself. Maybe it's silence to strengthen peace. See, what happens when you spend time in silence, you realize that all the turmoil that you think is because of your circumstances is actually in your heart. Maybe you need a couple hours of silence as a habit on a regular basis to strengthen your peace. Maybe giving is a habit you cultivate to strengthen your trust in God, to say, God, I'm going to trust that, that if I keep all my money, I can't do as much with it as you can do if I give you this portion. We give, not just because the church has needs or because it's the right thing to do. We give to strengthen a heart that trusts God. It's a whole new way of thinking about disciplines and habits. Is what does your heart need to be strong, to be 
strengthened. Now just imagine, imagine if there was something you could do that would positively affect every area of your life. This verse says there is. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the cleansing work of Jesus, that he has removed the power and the penalty of sin. Yet, Lord, we confess that we are still under the presence of sin and that we desire for you to descend again and to return and to make all things new. But God, in the meantime, would you give us the strength to guard our hearts, to feed on our love for you and our love for others and to resist the things that threaten those loves. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Luke.